Bienvenidos. Me llamo Daniel Bañuelos. Mi mamá y mi papá soy de Zacatecameco. Uh, ¿A quién hablas español? Uno, dos. <laughs> Sorry, my name is Dan Benuelos. My parents are from Zacatecas, Mexico. The reason I start off my presentation that way is because as Christians, we come into a community and we speak a different language. And it's so foreign to the secular world that doesn't understand Christianity. They come in there and we talk about biblical truths and they're not, they're not connecting with that. And then we kind of get this divide and we get this rift and we kind of lose them. If we're living in this world and we're not of the world, we need to learn how to articulate like Paul did. We need to learn how to be bilingual, trilingual, right? We need to come into these settings and articulate biblical truths using secular information. The presentation I'm going to give you tonight is a two-part, squished into one. And the first part was designed when I was in graduate school. In my graduate programs, we talked about... Um, We talked about sexuality. There we go. Sorry. We talked about sexuality, and my professor said, well, let's talk about homosexuality, and we were divided up in groups. And we got it divided up in our groups. Our, my group that I was with automatically said, well, let's just contact the GLBT, which is gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender group, have them come and present, and we're done. I'm like, wait a minute. That's a single-sided, one-sided approach to this issue. Shouldn't we present a balanced approach? Shouldn't we talk about the causations? Because they're going to be talking about some of the negative consequences or things that they have experienced. And I get that. I get that. That's hard. And I, I do not condole any violence, any harassment against anyone. But in, the, in an academic setting, shouldn't we look at the facts? Shouldn't we dig in a little bit deeper? And a few people in my class was really, really um, adamant about not presenting Someone's born that way without even looking at the facts. So I said, well, I'll take that on. So I got my research. I did all this um, um, research and looked through. I was the only one in my graduate program to meet with my professor, not once, not twice, three times. And she would comb through my research, which I'm about to present tonight. She was looking for ways to stop me presenting to my fellow colleagues, my fellow classmates. She did me a favor. At the time, I was really frustrated, thinking no one else, no one else has gone through this rigorous screening, raking, right, digging through, except for me. I could already tell where she was, her bias. And so I said, okay, we'll, we'll go through this thing. She was looking for any parts of Christianity to smash it, but I didn't. I used research. I used the textbook research. I used secular research. And you'll see this um, tonight. But she couldn't stop it. Even presenting in front of my class, she still said, well, I want to join in this presentation. I'm like, have you ever done that before? She goes, no, but this, well, this one I want to do. She was afraid about the information I was about to present of how powerful it could be to make people think and go, wait a minute, no one's really born that way. My first part of my research is going to be looking at the causation of homosexuality. When you look at and we talk about homosexuality, it's still highly de debatable. There is no scientific evidence showing that someone is solely born that way. And we'll go through this whole process. So bear with me. I'm going to give you a lot of information. Forgive me for running through because I can see there's a time there. Now I know what Pastor Brent and Pastor Derry feels like when they look at the time. So I got to make sure I keep moving. But the causation, again, is highly debatable. You hear all these stories 
for example, like Simon LeVay. You hear in the news these little drive-by clips, right? These little brief little um, news tidbits of someone's born that way because they found it in the brain. There was a research done by Dr. Simon LeVay, and he said that he first came out with this study, and it went all over the papers. It was all over the media saying there is a connection between the brain and being homosexual. What you don't hear is the retraction that happened later. And he stresses saying, let me clarify. And the reason he had to clarify is because his own team members said this is not, uh, it cannot be reproduced, this study. This study was flawed. And so he had to retract that. But you rarely saw that in the media. All you got left with his impression was it's something to do with the brain or something here and there. Now, for those of you who used to watch this show, do you remember the X-File? Okay, for anyone sci-fi, there's a show where they basically look for UFOs, government, and so forth. There was an uh, agent named Scully and another one named Moeller. Moeller was ready to believe anything, anything, right? Scully was always, always critical and questioning, right? Digging a little bit deeper. I love her approach because I had to dig deeper. If you dig deeper, you find out that Simon LeVay, Dr. Simon LeVay, is homosexual. He lost his partner and he was tired of the religious group saying it's a sin and he wanted to silence him once and for all. So he moved his research towards proving that there is a genetic link to being homosexual. But even him himself realized it's not going to stand and he had to move back. But again, we don't hear that in the media. That's something that we don't hear about. Moving on. My professor told me, well, if you're going to talk about this issue, you should look at the APA, the American Psychiatric Association, because that's what counselors do. We use that as supposedly our guidebook. I said, okay, I would. As I dug through, I found out that the APA has a department of GLBT, again, gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. Anytime you talk about this issue, it goes to this department, and then this department releases a statement. They, they decide what can and cannot be discussed in research, and this is important in just a moment. And you're kind of thinking again, wait a minute, this is a little bit biased. If, if and again, if you dig through the website, this is a current website, they advocate socially, politically, um, in every aspect for GOPT rights, gay marriage, gay adoption, and all this stuff. They're not neutral. They're biased. And that's what you make you, makes you wonder going, wait, they now are tainted with the research and information coming out. But even then, even then, they, they said um, at one point that talking about individuals leaving homosexuality is too controversial. So the APA has an annual conference each year, and they basically gather up psychologists and counselors, and they say, let's talk about what is an or, a mental disorder or not. And someone brought up saying, let's talk about ex-gays, individuals leaving the homosexual lifestyle. The APA said, that's too controversial, we can't talk about it. The reason I bring up that point is because in 1994, they were looking at to remove pedophilia as a mental disorder. Congress got word of it, society got word of it, and they quickly retracted that and moved backwards to say, okay, okay, nope, and they moved it on. I'm not, I'm not connecting in any way, so please hear me. I'm not connecting homosexuality with pedophilia. I am trying to tell you that the APA is biased. If they don't allow an adult to say, I want to leave my unwanted same-sex attractions, that's too controversial, but talking about pedophilia is not, that tells you about where they're coming from. 
He would think that's too far, right? That was many years ago. In 2003, again, they talked about pedophilia and bestiality as removing that as a mental disorder. That is psychology today. It hasn't been removed. It's still on there because, again, people got word of it and they started complaining about this. I brought this up to my professor and said, this is not controversial, but asking an adult who doesn't want same-sex attractions to leave, that's controversial. And she was kind of stumped. Moving on. Even with the APA, even with their bias, they concluded that it is a combination of both biological and psychological. So even their liberal-leaning slant came and going, well, no one's really born that way. But we often hear that. That's the misinformation that we hear. We hear that and we go, well, we can't do that. We can't blame them for being who they are. That's the question. What if they're not? Dr. Splitzer was one of the original members who voted to remove homosexuality as a mental disorder. So in 1972, um, homosexuality was removed as a mental disorder. You would think, well, maybe they found some research. Again, Scully, dig a little bit deeper, and you found out you will find out that there was a lot of protest gay activists that would break into the meetings and disrupt the meetings. And they finally, after the third year, said, forget it. We don't want this controversy. We're removing it. Dr. Splitzer was one of the original ones to vote it to remove homosexuality as a mental disorder. But even then, he said patients should have the right to explore their own heterosexual potential. So again, this is not a conservative focus on the family Christian. He's saying, no, we should have the right to look through that. Even And so my research looks into all sites, even PFLAG, which is Parents and Friends of Lesbians and Gays, it's an organization that supports individuals coming out and families. They said it's a combination. They said there's no research of just someone being solely born. Again, this is the information I'm presenting into my graduate program. My professor thought I was going to come up and say, well, it's a sin in the Bible and focus on the family says this. And I'm not knocking down focus on the family, especially not the Bible. <laughs> but in that whole big picture, I knew that wouldn't work in the secular realm. I knew I had to talk their language and come through this whole process. Now, here's the question when we ask, is homosexuality a choice? I do not believe through all the research and all my encounters with a lot of individuals, no one wakes up and says, this is what I choose. I say this very, very sensitively because I know in this room right now, we probably have friends, families, and so forth that may be struggling or dealing with this, right? Or have come out. I get that. As a body of Christ, we have to be well informed. Sometimes as Christians, when it gets uncomfortable, especially on these topics, we're kind of like, I don't, I don't know, right? And we back away. We're doing this while the other side's getting very equipped and prepared to come through. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. Homosexuality, someone doesn't choose it. What I believe is there's a number of incidences, a number of factors that happen. There are turning points in people's lives, and you'll see with this research as I talk a little bit more, that happens in people's lives. There's a spirit of brokenness. We live in a broken world. We're all broken, including myself. But we're reacting differently according to our upbringings and our journeys and our encounters, right? This one's just a little bit different. Let me give you a good example. Greg Luginis. Um, 
this is going to date us older people. Remember him from the Olympics back in the 80s? Okay, if you see a couple nods, the young people are like, who? Anyway, <laughs> so in this whole process, Greg Luginis was an Olympic time diver, right? Or, uh, yeah, a diver. And he won all these gold medals. A few years afterwards, he came out and he said, I'm homosexual. And then he wrote an autobiography. So what you have to learn is Greg is Samoan, and Greg was ostracized in school. He was said, um, he was called racial names. His peers separated and pushed him aside and just basically picked on him. He was lonely and hurting. His dad was offstandish. His dad was really, really distant until Greg got into diving in high school. And diving, he was pretty good. He had a natural ability, a natural gift that his dad wanted to take control and took over the whole situation. Greg was hurting so much for his dad's affection that as the dad was the coach, Greg would jump off the diving board and do belly flops and hurt himself. He was trying to show the pain that was happening inside. Greg went to the beach, met this older gentleman, um, and they had a sexual encounter. And Greg kept going back. This is Greg's own autobiography. He said, I kept going back for the affection, the holding coloring, more than the sex. I was starved for affection. Greg talks about this loneliness. He talks about this disconnect that he wanted to connect with a man in the sense that not sexually. This is an example when I talk about a brokenness. When you look at the research again, again, I use psychologists, I use counselors. We talk about both parents contribute to a gender's um, development. When my son was young, right, him and I used to wrestle and we'd sit on the couch and we'd do all kinds of stuff. He was about three or four and I was holding him in my arms, and I once looked at his eyes, and I said, Isaac, why do you love Daddy so much? And he looked at me, and he goes, Dad, are you feeling insecure? No, anyway, <laughs> okay. <laughs> he said, Dad, because you're a boy like me. And that was so profound. I didn't give him this presentation. I didn't run through these slideshows. But even as a three-year-old or a four-year-old, he was able to connect to say, yeah, you and I match. There's lots of individuals that go through that wants that connection. And when that connection is not there, they will seek it out through other means. Not everyone's abused. Not everyone's molested and so forth. So let's dispel those myths as well. But there is still brokenness, right? And so that's what I want to stress to you. Even psychologist Eric Erickson would talk about saying if a person doesn't resolve a crisis, it will continue with them. I'm walking my class through this whole process, and they all agree. Yep, yep, first five years. First five years of the formative years. If something happens, then you're going to be carrying issues with you throughout your life. Yet some of them found it hard to make the connection, oh, yeah, this may connect to why someone may be homosexual. There are professional institutions out there, like the North Institute. So what happens in the APA is you get members to sign up, right? It's a professional organization. And in the APA, they said, let's talk about unwanted same-sex attraction. Again, the APA, you saw the history, right? They kept stopping, stopping, stopping. So a group of professionals from the APA broke apart and has dual memberships with the APA and with NERF. NERF is a professional organization that has counselor psychologists that come in and treat unwanted same-sex attraction. Now, I say this and I stress this, unwanted. 
It's not a force camp. It's not, uh, let me drag you in and just fix my child or whatever. I've talked to many of the individuals there. I've talked to the president there. And I played the devil's advocate, which I hope you will all do tonight. And can we see devil in church? Anyway, so the whole thing tonight where you ask me questions and really probe in. And ask me questions from, not from you, but saying, what would the other side say? You have to know a little bit about me. Um, again, I work at the university, and I'm not here representing the university, but I work at the university, and I put myself in a number of situations to always try to listen. I try to hear their heart. That's a key and most important thing, to get a better understanding. Back to the North Institute. The reason I bring that up is because I once called randomly, anonymously, and I just said, what if I have a child, and they're, and they're coming out, and I want to correct them? And they said, well, this is what, how we handle this. We would first talk to the child in an open public room, just us and them. If they choose not to, uh, if they choose to embrace their homosexuality, then we're done. We don't force anyone. We don't um, coerce anyone. And that's a good professional approach. You listen to the client, you see what they want, and then you move from there. Moving on. Now we talk about the pendulum. There's a culture shift happening right now in our society. And for simplistic reasons, I'm going to use left and right. And there is a spectrum in between. So there's everyone in between this political spectrum or culture spectrum. Let me put it that way, culture spectrum. Here's my uh, philosophy and my view on this whole thing. I don't think, for simplistic reasons... The left are being necessarily vindictious or mean in some sense. There's a spectrum of everyone in between. There's people on the right who's uncomfortable about this topic and we shy away from it. Or we're just mean, right? We say some harsh, hurting statements. There's people on the left who are very, very political and they're mean and they come very, very aggressive. I also look on this side and I'm like, why are you doing this? They're doing this because they care about someone. That's the first thing that helped me understand this bigger picture. They care about someone being picked on, belittled, or discriminated. I can applaud those virtues, right? Because I say, I get it. You're protecting the human. We all can agree with that. And the reason I stress that out is because I need to talk about this side, but I'm not talking about the extreme because there's extreme on both sides. It's funny because when I talk about opposite ends, the left, for simplistic reasons, always says, there was a, there's an example. Let me give you an example. At CSU's football game, Westboro Baptist came down to protest Matthew Shepard, right? They sat outside of CSU Stadium, and they had all these derogatory signs about homosexuality. The GLBT heard about this. They showed up on the opposite side, and they had their signs. And someone asked me, knowing my position, they said, Dan, which side would you be on? And I said, neither. They're both wrong. And they're kind of like, oh. They thought I would just lean over to the Christian side, or they thought I would be repelled and lean over to this side. I said, nope, they're both wrong. And so there's something happening in our culture. When we talk about our culture, we hear all these myths about the population of homosexuality is 10%. But if you do your research, it's closer to 3%. But it's a very, very, very strong, politically active 3%. 
their political movement learned that they cannot fight this by themselves, so they tapped into a number of other resources and pulled it in. I'll show you how they did that. Um, I do go out in the public schools. You have to know me about that. I'm in the Denver public schools. I'm also out in the rural public schools. And you would be surprised at what's seeping in in our public schools, all in the name of diversity and tolerance. And that's the shocking, because I think we sit here as Christians, we're like, well, well, I know what the Bible says, and I understand that. But if we really took a survey of Timberline, I think we'd be kind of shocked to say, oh, how could we be here at church in this body, believe whatever this comes out, right? How could we miss these things? We miss these things because we're being inundated constantly through culture. Since I work with youth, and I don't spend 24-7 digging through the media, by the way. <laughs> I do have a life. So, but there's a lot of shows that are out there that always slips in um, a GLBT, a gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender. And every time they slip them in, they're always the victim or in a positive light. Never the villain. Never this evil person. Never the bully. Never this stuff. And you've got to be aware of that because a lot of kids are watching it. A few years back when I was at, uh, uh, here at Timberline and I was volunteering for the youth at one point, um, we were chatting, and I was chatting with some of the youth, and I asked them, what's your favorite show? And they told me, Will and Grace. I love that show. And I was thinking, are you aware of what the show is? Oh, yeah, yeah, but it's so funny. And it's not to say we ban all TVs, but I'm like, here's someone who's 12, 13, and their favorite show is Will and Grace about a homosexual man and his friend, but they start seeping that in even early on. Moving on. I'm sorry. So, I am, my parents are from Mexico, and the thing that I see what's happening, and I can say this personally, is there is a movement to associate GLBT with people of color. And they do that as a shield. They do that because if you were to ever disagree against GLBT, then are you racist too? And they start using that to say, well, it's just the same as being black or Mexican or this. And it's not. And the reason I stress that is because politically, again, I know we're not supposed to talk about politics in the church, but African Americans do not equate sexual orientation as skin color. And the reason I say that is voting after voting after voting after issue after issue there's a high percentage of African Americans who say this is not the same. In California, over 70% said they want traditional marriage because they do not see being gay as the same as being black. Yet we keep thinking, well, this is part of the diversity. I had a, a, the fortunate to go out to Atlanta, um, Georgia, recently, and I visited the Martin Luther King Memorial Museum. Fantastic museum. A fantastic um, pilgrim that you get to walk through. It's interactive. It's all great, except at the very end when you walk out and you walk into the bookstore and they had GLPT uh, merchandise and so forth. Again, subtly saying, being black is the same as being gay. I went up to the counter and I asked him, I said, um, where is Alveda King in this whole memorial? And that's the niece of Dr. Martin Luther King. And they go, oh, um, we, we couldn't fit everyone. I'm like, well, I get that. You have a long list of people that are not even related to Dr. Martin Luther King in this museum, but not her. I wonder why. She's a strong advocate against gay marriage and so forth. She's conservative. So they didn't want her inside the museum. They wanted to make sure she's not represented. 
So I brought up the issue. You have to be careful and sensitive because being a person of color and being GLBT is not necessarily the same. Moving on. A lot of universities now put the diversity group together. Asian American Pacific, Black Student Services, L Center. Oh, look, GLBT. So whenever you go on the website, you'll go, oh, I guess it's the same. That is a strategic plan to ward off any opposition. Again, they're trying to silence the society to say, you better not speak out because if you are, you must be racist too. That's what they're basically saying. I sit on committees and watch this thing go through and I voice my opinion. And it's interesting because, again, I discovered what tolerance really, really means. Um, when I was presenting, and I presented before, not just at the at church, but I presented at CSU, UNC, public schools, and so forth. At CSU, they were trying to um, block me, stop me, fire me, whatever. And they go, well, let's just say he's racist. They're like, no, he's Mexican. We can't say that. <laughs> and they're like, oh, dang it. Well, let's say, uh, and they were trying to stop me and trying to get me to stop, and they couldn't. Because I've never said anything harsh. I've never, hopefully, belittled anyone. I didn't yell at anyone. I just said, let's talk about true diversity. True diversity means I get to speak as well. True diversity means you respect my ideas, my views. True diversity means my cultural reasons I can disagree and so forth. There are a number of programs that are on the college campuses and are on the public schools. Um, CSU every year has a drag show, and they make it really, really fun, lots of music, and, and it's well attended. Um, the flyers are distributed throughout CSU's dorms, and they get a lot of kids to come. In public schools, they have Gay Straight Alliance. I was sitting in uh, one of the Denver schools doing another project, and one of the counselors was trying to get a Gay Straight Alliance started, a club started. No one showed up. I'm like, huh, what does that tell you? She goes, well, we'll try again next month. So it's coming from the staff to keep talking about it, not necessarily from a, a groundswell from the students. The safe zones is a training that's, if you see that, you, I already know what the training went through. A lot of this training is to say, we've got to stop homophobia. And homophobia means even if you disagree for religious reasons sometimes. And I said, huh, how is that inclusive? How are you now including people who might disagree? What movie is this from? No, not James and the Giant. Bugs Life. There's a scene, if you watch the movie, um, where the grasshoppers were just a few. And they came in and they would control thousands of ants. And there was maybe five or six grasshoppers controlling thousands of ants. One of the ants saw another ant being mistreated. And he stepped up, and the grasshopper stopped and walked over to him. He said, get back in line. And the grasshopper slowly bent down and went back down in line and, sat and stood in the line. That clip stood out to me because I see when we talk about bullying, right? We don't talk about the laugh bullying. We don't talk about the intimidations and the harassments that happen sometimes. You get called homophobic, narrow-minded, intolerant, and all this whole list. Those are silencing words. Those are words that there are being trained at a lot of these diversity uh, trainings and programs and so forth to say, if you see this, if you hear anyone, anyone talking about any opposition, this will keep them quiet. Right? 
And so as the body of Christ, we have stepped back, some of us, a little bit to just quietly be down. I have a really good friend that once told me, wouldn't this be easy if we can just get this off the table and say it's okay? That'd be so easy. Wouldn't it be easy if God just said, no, being homosexual is okay. Then that would take out this big argument and we don't have to fight on this thing. But that's not what God said. And that's the part where we have to really, really look at the facts scripturally and also what's out there. I believe that we don't have to be afraid of research and truth. God made science. We don't ever have to shy away to say, well, what's the causation? What happens? What's going on? Because if we dig really a little bit deeper, we'll find out the truth. There are many sides to controversial issues. And somehow we only take a single selective approach. This happens with abortion, evolution, and obviously homosexuality. There's a, I have, again, spoken on this issue here in at, uh, at the secular world, and we talk about why people might disagree. We talk about culture reasons. I've had individuals who claim, for, again, for diversity, and I said, what if my culture disagrees with that? And they said, then you're just, you have some issues. So I've learned now to say, what if a Muslim disagrees with that? And they go, um, hmm. <laughs> Because right now, in the political world, the higher ed world, that's okay. So every time in a, I'm in a training, if I'm in a supervisor training or a diversity training, I don't use Christianity. I just said, hey, what if I have an employee and they're Muslim and they happen to disagree with uh, I'm transgender? And they go, uh, oh, huh, we have to respect both. I'm like, huh, I can ask the same question with Christianity and then they say, well, you have to really work with a Christian, right? I've tried that before. We look at spiritual reasons. Again, I use things outside of Christianity because I know Christianity can appear as an easy t- um, target. I have once, um, and this is, again, I don't know why I do this, but I've gone to Boulder, right? And I know people are like, what? <laughs> uh, <laughs> I went to Boulder at an open forum, and they were talking about some issue related to this in a public forum, and I went down there, and we started talking about this, and they were talking about in the public schools what they're going to be teaching. And I said, would you want someone to come in and teach the conservatives uh, about them? And I went on with this whole spiel about something that's really, really conservative. And I'm like, well, no. I said, then don't do that to conservative families. Let's reverse that. Don't come in and, and push a doctrine that will go against families that may disagree with this. And we had to ha- I had to flip things around. Again, factual reasons. There's lots of facts. Yet college students, high school students and even our, in our world, are missing these things because we're not being talked about this or presented with this. There's even political reasons, right? So for whatever political persuasion you're at, there could be political reasons why you may disagree. I want to talk about the power of one because every time I present this, I want to leave people with hope. Not just like, well, that's it. The power of one, I believe that God has put us in certain places. This is PFOX. Uh, this is for parents and friends of ex-gays and gays. The founder is Regina. Her son came out to her many years ago, and she was at a turning point. She could either embrace him and run with him and say, this is who you are, because that's what P-Flag was giving him to give to her. Or she could say, i got to have some research. i got to know why, what's happening. 
she chose to go and dig through the research herself and started this organization to help parents who are dealing with loved ones who are coming out. She and her son still have a really good relationship to this day, even though I don't think her son has left the homosexual lifestyle. The reason I share that is because she approaches things in love. She's been on board meetings, school boards, um, public forums, and people get frustrated with her because she's soft-spoken and she just talks about fact, 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 fact. They're waiting for this argument. They're waiting for this debate. They're waiting for this yell, um, yelling contest, and she doesn't give that. She's made a difference in this world. I also want to talk about some individuals who was working as guards in Minnesota. Uh, I believe there was three um, working in, um, in, in a state penitentiary, and they had to go through diversity training. These guards decided to say, they were going to talk about um, GLBT, and they said, we're just going to open up our Bibles and sit here quietly. Their supervisor got so upset with them, saying, no, we want you listening, paying attention, and, and absorbing this. They said it goes against our faith. They were reprimanded, and I think they were let go. They went through the court systems. The court systems found that the state penitentiary was wrong. And so they set a new precedence for the state to say, you cannot force someone through diversity trainings like that. Um, for whatever political side with Kim that you're on, you have to understand that here's a woman that stood for her faith, and I watched all the commentaries. I watched a lot of the, the, the comments on her saying, well, she should just quit her job. Okay, maybe, maybe they're saying she's a state employee and as a state employee or federal, you should do your job. Let's do the reverse. Let's do the flip. There are certain states who has marijuana legal, but in the federal level, it's not. There are certain states who has sanctuary cities, and I don't want to get into politics about immigration, where the federal says it's not. I'm like, oh, so the left gets to pick and choose what laws people should follow and what laws they shouldn't. But when a Christian, for moral conviction, say, I can't follow this law, then you should just drop out and then leave that job. It doesn't work that way. You cannot be picking and choosing. You cannot both, um, have it both ways. And so I say, well, she's just doing what other people do for because of the convictions. You don't know that there's a lot of other county clerks who did the same, but she got the whole focus. I want to talk about this. This is a HERO Act that was trying to be passed in Houston. In Houston, they were trying to pass an anti-discrimination against GOBT. If you discriminate, harass, or even offend someone, you can be fined up to $5,000 for businesses. Okay? On top of this, there was um, an ordinance that said anyone can choose whatever bathroom they want at any point in time, transgender. So if I'm walking and I'm a man, I just say, mm, in two minutes I'm going to be a woman. <laughs> I just happen to walk into the women's bathroom. I can just, hey, transgender, I'm okay. So this law was being pushed through the mayor. Again, if you dig deeper, the mayor of Houston is lesbian. She was trying to rush it through. She went beyond the politics. She went behind the doors and did it not the right way. A group of individuals stood up said, we want to have this on the ballot. She tried to block it, and every time she tried to block it, they went to court, it went through. The media came out saying, most of these people, 72%, are for this ordinance. This is going to pass easily. It was defeated by 62% against 39 recently in this past election. Again, it's this misinformation to say, you know, you're all just a few bunch. Not, the world doesn't think like you all. 
I believe we're the silent majority. I think we need to start speaking out. I think we need to start standing up in truth and love. Because again, every time I look at this, every time I look at and they brought in Sally Fields, right? Remember Steel Magnolias? Anyway, they brought in Sally Fields. And they brought in all these celebrities trying to pass this. And it didn't pass. Because the people of Houston said, we don't want this. Yet they kept saying, yes, you do. <laughs> like, no, we don't. We need to stand up. We need to stand up in a respectful way. Because again, we're talking about people. Here's a counselor, a fellow colleague, right? So she was in her graduate school, and they said that she would have to um, counsel someone who wants to talk about um, gay marriage or gay adoption. She said, I would refer that client to someone else because professionally I can't do that for conscious reasons, right? The university forced her, said, no, you either embrace it or we kick you out. She said, I can't. I'm a Christian. They kicked her out. She sued, and now she has free tuition at the university and got her master's degree paid for. I'm going to show you one more. This woman here is my daughter. Um, recently at a university, I can't make, mention any names, but it's just right down the road. <laughs> um, she had a psychology class. And in her class, the professor said, we are going to talk about the causation of homosexuality, nurture versus nature. She spent uh, 20 minutes on nature, in two minutes on nurture dismissing it, saying there's not really much out there, so it's not really real. My daughter raised her hand, he said, and she asked, what about individuals who left the homosexual lifestyle? My professor, or her professor dismissed it, saying, well, they weren't really gay. And then they went on. In her exam, it said, what's the causation of homosexuality? And the right answer was, you're born that way. My daughter said, Dad, we can't, I can't just sit there and watch this. I have to do something. And I looked at her, I'm like, baby, they don't know who your dad is. Huh? <laughs> We're going to be talking. And so she asked the professor, can you present both sides? And the professor goes, what, what are both sides? I don't get it. What do you mean both sides? She goes, the nurture side, right? And so the professor goes, well, you can give me some information. And my daughter goes, well, I know of someone. I happen to know of someone that can come in and present. The professor didn't want somebody to come in. She, she goes, you can present. So my daughter goes, I'll take that challenge. So my daughter laid out a presentation, not this long, but she laid out a quick presentation. The professor gave her five minutes, and, and right before the class, the professor comes up to my daughter and goes, you do know you're going to be presenting in front of 150 students, right? Trying to make her nervous. And she's all, it's okay, I'm a theater major. <laughs> and the professor's like, dang it. And she goes, you do know you may get some hate mail. She goes, that's okay, I, put, I gave him my CSU uh, email. I never checked that. <laughs> the professor's like, dang it. I snuck into class, and I tried to be a college student, put the hat backwards, sit there, my jeans down here. No, no, I just snuck into class. <laughs> I snuck into the class, and I sat in the back, and she did fantastic. At the end, I was about to clap for her, and someone beat me to it, and there was uh, almost 150 students applauding for her because she took the stand. It takes that power of one. It takes someone standing up saying, wait a minute, I know more information. I am hoping that all of you now, for whatever reason, whether you agree or not, okay, you walk away going, I can't play ignorance. There's some facts that may be right. There's, there's another side that now I just got presented to. That makes you now more accountable to say you cannot walk away saying, I guess someone's just born that way. I show this again because I, we talk about 
facts, right? The causation. We talk about what's happening in our society. We have to be prepared. In the Bible, it talks about that. In the Bible, it says be prepared to give an answer, right? Our culture is spinning out of control, and there's a lot of things that are happening. I look at higher ed, and this is what reminds me about higher ed. 2 Timothy 4, um, verse 3. It says, for the, for the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. If you understand anything, anything about how the college system works, they pick people that think like them. You, 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 you. If you disagree, Dan, then you're not going to go anywhere. You, you, you. I already know my career, my life's in God's hands, so it doesn't matter where I go. If I move up, if I move down, I'm okay. So to me, that's no threat for me. This is probably why I speak, right? <laughs> probably why I get myself in kind of some trouble here and there. But we have to be prepared because right now, there's a lot of stuff that we're, that's happening that we're not even aware of. And then our children come back from school, from friends, and they go, oh, yeah, so-and-so told me this. And they're like, oh, oh, huh, that's an interesting conversation. And this is why I think this is so important. I thank Pastor Brent for allowing me to come in here and speak. If, and this is just a side note, if you know of any young gentlemen who are strong Christian, here's my daughter, and I can give you an email and connect them two together. <laughs> let, me, let me wrap up with this. Um, um, I heard a really neat Native American story because someone once told me um, um, this analogy. There was a Native American grandfather who had this young boy grandson come in, and he told his grandson about this great battle within the warrior. He said one day there was a warrior, a mighty warrior, that had two wolves living inside of him. He had a black wolf and a white wolf, and the black wolf representing um, the evil side and the white wolf representing the good side. And these two wolves were fighting, and they said, we're tired of sharing this warrior. Only one of us can take care or be in this warrior and live in this warrior. And so they both wolves set out on the early sunrise to say, we're going to fight for this warrior, and the winner would take the warrior's body and soul. And so sunset rose, and these two wolves went at it, and they battled and battled, Noon came, and they were still battling, and evening came. And the grandfather just stopped. He started to walk away. And the little boy ran up to his grandfather and said, Grandfather, grandfather, which wolf won? And the grandfather turned to his son and he said, The one that got fed. And I think about that spiritually. I have talked to so many individuals. Families have invited me to their home. I don't come in there saying, Well, I can change your child within two or three of your sessions. I come in and we chat and I present some of this information. And I say, now you have a choice now. Now you can't play ignorance and say, well, this is the way I was born. No, you can't play that anymore. And I've talked to individuals saying, what are you feeding yourself? What are you looking at? I've talked to young men who are struggling with same-sex attractions. And I get really deep in saying, are you looking at pornography? And they go, yeah. And they tell me, well, I try praying. I'm like, how can you pray one moment and then start feeding this desire the next moment. Of course it's not breaking. Of course it's not. you're not leaving these desires because you keep saying, God, help me, but I want to hang on to this and keep feeding it. And so we talk about these things. I want to make sure that I'm available for anyone. This is why I put up my, um, my email. Um, I am willing to come 
come into homes, chat more, come into the public arena, come into any trainings, come into the public schools, come into workplaces, whatever. Because I think this is such an important issue. This is one of the issues that is moving towards you will be severe consequences if you disagree in the future. Even churches. The example I gave you in Houston, the mayor subpoenaed a subpoena um, pastors' sermons to know what they were preaching about on this issue. And again, that was illegal. And we think, oh, that's not going to happen to the church. That's not going to happen to the church. It might. It might. So I am hoping, I'm hoping this presentation helps. I know it's a touchy subject, you go. I get that. I know right now I'm hitting on some sensitive buttons because you're thinking of this family. Let me be transparent. I have a nephew and a sister-in-law that came out which probably launched me more into this area, right? Trying to figure out what was going on. And so I want to make sure that you know, too, I'm sensitive about, yes, we're talking about people, loved ones, family members. Now you get to try to stump me. Let's play uh, Stump Dan. I don't know if we can. <laughs> Not tax questions. I'm horrible at tax questions. More of them on this issue. <laughs> Thank you, Dan. That was great. That was really good. Um, just to let you know, this next week, I mentioned this before too, but we're also going to be having a panel discussion. We're going to have about five or six people up here and answering a lot of these questions. So ones that we do not get to tonight, we will try to tackle next week. Okay, so don't, don't be upset if I texted in and you know, he dodged that one. We'll, we, will, we will hit it uh, uh, next week for sure. Dan, try to, just for the sake of time, if you can give brief answers as possible so we can get through as many of these as we can. The first one came in and was talking about... Uh, this is an example where a, uh, a couple have a gay family member, but they also have a seven-year-old daughter. Uh, the gay family member is a lesbian. They have invited, the lesbian is going, going to be married to her partner, has invited them to the wedding. And their question was, um, the attendance question, we don't want to hurt them, but we can't betray our morality and attend or even explain this to our seven-year-old daughter. Help. What would you say? What kind of food is going to be at the wedding? I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> Go sit down. Um, no. So here's, here's my best advice. I do not present this to my own children. I do not sit them down and say, let's just walk through this presentation. When situations come up, I use them as teachable moments. And this is a teachable moment even for the seven-year-old. We have to be aware that the other side, again, for the left, for simplistic reasons, are having books like Mommy, uh, Something Has Two Mommies, Some, Something Has Two Mommies, and Two Daddies, and so forth. So we shy away going, oh, let's not talk about this because they're too young. I'm like, in the public schools are see- being seeped in. I would use this as a teachable moment to say, let's talk about the structure of how God designed marriage. And also saying, what does my presence say if I attend something? I use this across the board. Across the board, right? Rather this or some... Um, um, place where women take off clothes, what does my presence say? Even if I'm like, well, I'm just witnessing, or I don't agree, you have to look at it and see what does your presence say. Okay. So what about attending? attending someone says, is, that, is that right or wrong to go to a gay wedding? Okay. So no I, children involved. Let's no say. children involved. But again, what does their presence say and how does that fit in scripturally? I would look at that and say, 
what message. And we don't have signs. We can't have a sign, a whole billboard saying, I don't agree with gay marriage, but I'm here because I just want to be a support for my friend. We don't have those shirts, right? It'd be interesting, but no, it doesn't happen. Okay, good, thank you. Um, a couple of questions came in like this. I'm going to try to kind of combine them into one. It's, it's this idea that isn't, doesn't God love everyone? Doesn't God love all his, all his children? And it seems like sing, singling out homosexuals, um, a lot of Christians are very stern with homosexuals, and uh, God has told us not to judge, and so why are you judging? It is easy to point out someone else's sin. I get that. This is why I try to be sensitive. I try to think if I'm struggling with something, how would I want a brother like Pastor Brent to come in and speak on my life? I don't want him protesting outside my house. <laughs> I don't want him giving me flyers <laughs> saying I'm going to go to hell or whatever. How would I want that, right? So I always think about that. God looks at us and when the don't judge me, it's a silencing tool. I'm like, when someone tells me that, I'm like, you mean like you're judging me right now? They use that just to quiet people and quiet Christians. I am looking at saying, are we rising up to God's standard, not just on this issue? It's not just about this issue. And again, it's easier for us to deal with or point out sins that we're not struggling with. But this is the part where I say we have to look at God's standards and rise up to that and use clarity to say, it's not about me judging. It's trying to say, this is what I'm trying to live up to. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, another question. How, how should I have answered my 14-year-old granddaughter when she wanted to know what to say to her friend uh, who thinks she is a lesbian considering what is being taught in schools? Okay. I would, I would talk about saying, um, <laughs> a 14-year-old friend, okay. I would talk about saying that there are a lot of youth that question their sexual orientation here and there. That doesn't mean they're homosexual or lesbian. I would also talk about saying, um, looking at if they want to pursue this, say, well, let's look in that deeper. Why do you want to do that? So, again, for the older generation, remember the show Columbo? Rather than just saying you're wrong, he came in and asked a lot of questions. If they were more prepared, they could ask questions saying, when did you start these feelings? What was going on? And here's some facts about this, at least pointing to a website so they get more information about that. Um, another person asked, I have friends who are gay. I feel it's best to love them as they are and continue to be an example of a Christian in their life. Am I being a hypocrite? I feel it's not my place to judge them, but to love them as God loves them. So all of us are, are put on this earth with a purpose. I honestly believe that. We are all spread out at our jobs, our families, and so forth. We are ambassadors of Christ. And I'm guilty of this too. I'm not the best ambassador sometimes. But when those moments come, it's a chance for us to shine in love for God, but also speak truth in the right time. Again, I don't believe in just that. as soon as someone says, I think I'm gay, I'm like, wait, I got a presentation, and I drag them off to this thing, and I have them watch this whole thing. They have to know I care about them as a person. I love my students that I work with, including the ones that are having premarital sex, even if it's heterosexual sex. It's still wrong. Sex before marriage, outside of marriage, is still wrong. I still love those students. And so I see that as the same as any other sin, including my sin. But I also look for those teachable moments because if God gave me all this information, then I'm not just going to sit there quietly going, well, I, yeah, I guess you're okay, right? And just keep quiet. Okay, so now let me kind of piggyback on that because I was going to answer that or one question.